0: Good heroine, good heroine. We don't mean the drug, of heroine. Good heroine, good heroine. Seriously, please never do heroine Good heroine, good heroine. Now it really seems like you just want heroine Good heroine.
1: Heroine. Oh shit, hello everybody Welcome to Good Heroin. My name's Dave Ross. It's been a minute. I've been doing this monthly, and I'm putting this out uh, like in the middle of this month instead of the beginning. So it's been like a month and a half since I've been here. How are you? Nice to see you. I'm glad that you're here with me. Um, I uh, Like I said, yeah, I've been doing this monthly, so it feels a little weird uh, now when I do it because it's so occasional. But I'm back to doing it weekly. I don't know for how long... But uh, I'm about to travel for a month, and I wanna I wanna use this uh, as a as a bit of a tour diary and a way to check in. And also, I'm gonna talk to some of my friends on the road. I'm really excited for it. So I hope to see you here every week um, throughout the uh, the end of June and July is when I'll be traveling, and then I'm planning to keep doing it uh, weekly after that. Look, I don't really know what's happening. You know, I um. I spent the pandemic making calls, being like, "I'm gonna do this now. I'm gonna, I'm gonna do Twitch." And Twitch didn't really work out for me, <laughs> uh, because I like all the working parts of Twitch. I have a show that I do with Kyle Ayers, and now we're it's called Awful Level League, and I like everything about it. And that was uh, easier than solo Twitch streaming because, um, well, quite frankly, because Kyle produced it. I made a lot of the stuff. Like, I I, I designed the um, the user interface or, or whatever, the viewer interface. Um, and I did a lot of promoting, but he ran it as we were doing. And that made it easier. And so that was really fun. But even then, it's hard. Because, look, I like talking to people. I like playing video games. And I like performing live. But doing all three at the same time, holy shit, man, that is a lot. I don't know how people do it. And I think the answer is... They don't push out at 100% the entire time. Twitch streaming is sitting there for a full day. You know, you eat (laughs) while you're playing Minecraft or whatever you're doing. I'm a stand-up man. I'm used to going for it. If I'm here, I'm here. And I'm trying to make you laugh the whole fucking time. And it's just exhausting to try to do that while playing a video game and while talking to the chat. It just like... Man, also, you know, whatever version of ADHD and OCD I had, my brain just fucking flipped upside down and would just, I would be tired. I couldn't do anything after I Twitch streamed for like 45 minutes. I would just have to lay down for the rest of the day. (laughs) Oh, my God. Um, And also maybe quarantine stressful. And that was fucking my brain up. Who knows? Um, Oh, wait, I know. Because it was. And speaking of that, um, I hope you're doing well. Um, this became, it's an interesting time, isn't it? I'm sort of like, I don't know. When I said, uh, I was making calls in the, I noticed that in the, in, in, in the pandemic, like looking back, I would be like, I'm going to do this now, but I would, all of it was new solo producing a podcast and a Patreon out of my room. It was brand new for me, so I would be like, I'm going to do this. So everything I ever said, I'm going to do this, was something I was really interested in that I thought was cool that I, I like w- wanted to work on uh, doing and learning how to do. But I hadn't really done a lot of it yet, so I didn't know if it was going to stick or if I would be good at it or if I would be able to, like, if it was a way of working that worked for me. Um, so that's like with Twitch, Twitch streaming is the best example because I was like, I'm on Twitch now, I'm going to Twitch stream, <laughs> Having not done it, I got all the equipment, I did it, I was capable, and it drove me insane. And so, you know, I'm, you know, doing this show weekly now for a bit, but I'm going to try to loosen up on making commitments like that. Like, as far as the type of media I'm putting out. um, Because the world is just changing still. uh, Like, in huge ways. um, In like tangible ways and in emotional ways uh, constantly as we're like moving out of lockdown uh, and back into regular life. And uh, and so, yeah, I'm trying to take it easy on myself, like guessing how I'm going to feel and what I'm going to do like I did all of quarantine, because, God, I just spent all of quarantine wanting to, like, keep it together. Just I wanted to have a career. I wanted to make stuff. I wanted to be a comedian. I wanted to connect with you. Uh, I wanted to. I wanted to be I wanted to make stuff and I wanted to make money, you know, Uh, and I was just like, oh, I'm going to do it. So now it's funny. I'm like backwards from a lot of people. I think we're coming out of quarantine and I'm like and I'm like, wow, okay." now I need to chill. Now I've spent the past year in my bedroom careering and um, I feel insane and the world is opening up, but I am reeling from that truly reeling um and and so i'm gonna just sort of let it come let it uh just sort of wash over me however it's gonna and see how i react to it and uh and adjust at my own pace and uh i think it's the first time ever in my life i've adopted a chill attitude about a a single thing (laughs) truly like Man, and it's because I need to, because I I, and it's literally like I don't have a choice uh, about how I feel right now. And I know I don't know how you are doing. Uh, There are a handful of people in my life that have reacted to the world opening up by being like, I'm good. Hell, yeah. Finally, I've been ready for this. Uh, I have actively processed everything as it came. And I uh, was I have always been prepared for it to be normal. And, you know, some people's psychology just allows them to do that. Um, they didn't have to, in order to make it through quarantine, accept it as a lifestyle and adjust uh, because however they're made up, they were able to see a light at the end of the tunnel or maintain the idea that it's impermanent. And uh, no, you just, like, deal. And uh, and they, they, they never totally bought into it. But in order for me to process it, I had to buy into it. Combine that with the fact that I spent a year telling me that if I don't stay inside, I'll die. And we don't talk about that a lot. A whole year telling ourselves, stay inside if you don't want to die. And there are a couple reasons we don't talk about that. The first is uh, you don't want to complain because quarantine was hard for everybody. And it was especially hard for people who didn't have a lot of money. And I I mean like people who had no money. People who lost their homes, lost their jobs, like truly intense shit. So if you're someone like me who still made some money and had a roof over his head the entire time, it's hard to complain. Right. Also, you don't want to say you spent the entire year forcing yourself to stay inside out of a fear of yourself dying because there was another major fear that we would as human beings like to think we prioritize over personal fears, which is. We're afraid of other people dying. So, yeah, we were staying inside because that was the right thing to do for other human beings. But we were also staying inside because we were afraid we were going to fucking die. And so it was over a calendar year that you screamed at yourself all the fucking time that you will die if you leave. And now it's opening back up overnight and uh, there's gonna be an adjustment period. <laughs> You're reeling from it. Uh, you might be experiencing anxiety that uh, you can't explain. That's what's happening to me, and that's why I had to slow it down. I tried to come out of the gate and do a bunch of stand-up, and then I noticed like all this weird nerves. I, I just like and look. I have stage fright. I don't think stage fright is something that goes away. I think it's something that you have that you sand down over time. And uh, and so I'm I like the more and more I did stand up, the more uh, the like softer and softer my performance anxiety got and uh, the less and less I panicked on stage And to the point where I would just, you know, by 2019, 2020, I was just getting some butterflies generally. Um, And so you would think that after a year of not doing it, coming back to stand up, I would experience some stage fright. Right. I would get some anxiety but no, not really. I do have anxiety though. It's weird. I was on stage a few times, not afraid of comedy that was coming naturally. Honestly, I feel better at stand up than ever saying jokes. I wrote, trying them out, connecting with the crowd, taking it slow, being myself, just like really not worrying at all in a way that is so fucking refreshing. I'm so excited to do standup, but then filled with dread in another way that I don't, really fully understand and after it happened a bunch of times and I noticed myself getting randomly anxious at random times throughout the fucking day I realized that like oh I I have some version of PTSD from telling myself uh to be afraid of death from the past year and um and you know it's yeah like I said some gradation of PTSD or maybe it's not PTSD maybe it's like it's just sort of uh, classical conditioning. Maybe I taught myself to be afraid all the time. And now that I don't need to be afraid all the time, I don't know if need is the right word, if I ever needed to be afraid, but I did it. But now that I'm like, it is, I no longer see the necessity of coaching myself to stay inside and to keep extra safe against a virus. Um, my brain needs some time to reach a place where it's there because of all the training it's gotten to be afraid in the past year. And, um, yeah, man, I'm just fucking taking it slow as a result. And the world is, uh, hard and scary and, uh, I mean, it fucking always is, but it's like, people are wound up and mad and there's a lot of pain and there's, like, fucking <laughs> war in so many places and poverty and A lot of people still don't have housing, like, in my fucking town in L.A. And, uh, I mean, we can talk about this at a later date, but it's funny. I've always been liberal. And then uh, all it took was one pandemic for me to be full-blown all the way hardcore left and, like, completely believe things I used to think were conspiracy theories. (laughs) And, look, I've even been, like, always been very liberal, like, very much so, financially and socially. Um, I've, like... I uh, politically I act from a place of empathy I always have I just really believe that we're all in this together don't judge or hate fucking anybody also we should share everything because you're I mean it you know there's nothing that makes a person better than another so like sure hard work should pay off and um, striving for safety and comfort in life Uh, If you get it, good for you. And I'm like down with that. But also we should be spending resources on making sure everybody is financially secure and has health care and shelter and all that shit. This is what I've always believed. Um but at the exact same time, I have just been like a regular liberal in a lot of ways. I've been like, yeah, well, I don't think it's a conspiracy or anything. I don't think I think polit- I one I think this is maybe the thing that has changed. I for a long time was like, yeah, you know. Uh, we are not where I want to be politically, but um, it's hard to be a politician, I'm sure. And I'm I think that a lot of them have their hearts in the right place and they're trying and it's just. Complicated with corporate interests and all this shit in a capitalist society, and so baby steps. That's like really how I felt. I like was like you know I want to get to universal health care and all this shit, but but I I like there are millions and millions and hundreds of millions of people, and it's hard and lots of disagreements and blah blah blah. Right? This is how I felt. It's gonna take a while for all this stuff, and uh, I don't know. Somewhere in the past two or three years, I've realized uh, no, these politicians hate me and everyone else and uh, would rather all of us die than they lose a single cent of money. (laughs) I, like, would have called a person who thought that a conspiracy theorist until a few years ago, and they're like, no, no, no. The mayor of L.A. is a murderer who hates everyone who has no housing and uh, wants to demonize them and have them be harmed by the police. (laughs) I, like, it's so funny to watch my brain... um, switch gears in this way um but anyway uh i am not uh, here to get political this episode though i guess this is a very opinionated episode uh because uh my buddy chris gethard is on the show and uh yeah we had a great conversation about how crazy we feel about comedy and it was really nice like we talked a lot about we're two guys who like i just said act from a place of empathy i think and really really want um to take care of people and treat them well and and grow, and like, and just like, you know, never judge or hate or hurt anyone. We're also those stand-up comics who like jokes and respect the idea of joking and writing a joke, and know that road is difficult with some bumps along the way, and uh, we had this nice conversation about uh, how comedy is really weird right now, because it feels like no one's acknowledging this weird middle. Um, It's just a lot of people screaming at each other from two sides, and... I don't know if that makes sense yet, but um but uh we talk about that and uh and I hope you like it. We also talk a lot about New Jersey pop punk and emo, which whew, Man, that's nice. I like a nice, thick nostalgia conversation. You know, nothing says "Hey, I'm David. I'm thirty fucking eight years old." Like talking about New Jersey pop punk from the late '90s. <laughs> we also had a conversation just about uh, coming up in comedy and what that feels like, and how relationships get complicated, and really just like how hard it is, how like bad it can feel, and uh, and how. Much of that sucks when you love it, and and how a lot of trying to make it as a comedian and a and a creator is is managing these complicated feelings of of um, wanting to take care of yourself while being in an environment that doesn't always make you feel good. Anyway, I have a Patreon. <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna play that uh, interview. <laughs> Oh man, it, there there is no way uh, to take what I do seriously. It's so fun. There's like just talking about my feelings about how the industry can hurt, and then segueing right into, "Hey, I'm a business." is <laughs> very uh, it's very funny. Um, but <clears throat> uh, I, uh, real quick, I'm gonna I'm gonna do this, and then we're gonna get to the uh, the the Chris interview. Um, I have two new patrons this week, so I would like to shout out Micah Cotner. Welcome to the Patreon, and shout out Kevin Heyman. Welcome. Thank you all for joining. I have uh, a, a bonus podcast on there and uh, on that Patreon, and I also have um, uh, you get uh, all my albums that have already come out if you sign up, and there's a merch tier, and there's all sorts of shit if you want more from me. Also, I'm on the road. Um... I'm in Portland, Maine, July 1st, and I'm in Boston, Massachusetts, July 2nd and 3rd, and then I'm in New York City a bunch. Um, Those Portland and Boston dates are posted on my website, davetotheross.com, with the uh, venues and shit and how to get tickets. Um, I haven't posted anything about my New York dates yet, because I'm just going to be hanging out in New York City doing a bunch of uh, uh, short sets on local shows, and so just follow me on Instagram, at davetotheross, if you want to see info on where to where to see me there. Um, yeah, cool. Well, let's get to this talk with Chris Gethard. And how have you been? How are things? Things are good, man, especially now that um we're opening up a little. I mean, obviously, I think uh, it brings with it its own stresses coming out of quarantine. But uh, mm-hmm. I like really had a I got pretty bad anxiety already and uh I had like a lot of trouble in quarantine emotionally. Yeah. So it's relieving now. Yeah. Well,
2: you're in you're in a safe harbor. I I switched medications myself a couple oh, months nice. back. So just hit a point where I was like we we're trying we have to try something different have to and and luckily it's helped a lot. So
1: That's good. And you were so you were having like a like a really hard time in Quarantine, you'd say? Yeah. You know, like,
2: I, uh, obviously, like, we don't get to go do what we do. We don't get to go get up on stage. We don't get the dopamine rush, the validation, the ego doesn't get stroked, and my big, my, you know, my shrink and I talk all the time about, like, brain chemistry, and her big thing lately is all about, like, what's your starting point for the day as far as, like, your stimulants and how much of your stimulants is natural and if you spend all your time stressed out you're not going to sleep well and if you wake up and you haven't slept and you're stressing you're already starting where everything's like dried up and your brain is already working so hard so it was hitting a wall and then I had a couple incidents where you know like really had to reconsider some friendships and yeah, a couple people said some things publicly about me like a couple comedians who I've never even met where I was like, that's weird, and then I feel like, um dude, you know I, I feel like you know me well enough, even though we've only crossed paths a hamlet well enough to know that I sit there and go does ever, does this mean everybody hate everybody hates yeah. me? And I have to talk myself off the cliffs? So. I
1: do think we are uh very similar in that way. I mean, I do that, <laughs> so mm-hmm. and you're mm-hmm. right, we don't know each other that well, but I got the impression, and isn't that funny that you can kind of smell your own? <laughs> well we you also
2: know, if, if, if i remember right we met at fest
1: totally and, which we're doing again this year you know oh you're to by there the way too. that's we, awesome i wasn't intending for this to be part of the episode what we're saying right now but it feels like we sort of naturally segued into something that i kind of like people to hear so i'm happy i'm yeah. happy to leave it in all right we're going great cool i um, was gonna
2: say anyone who i met at fest i had a general sense that they shared at least a similar wavelength or else you wouldn't have wound up there that weekend for sure it was actually very very cool for me because i often felt very like very much like no one in like in new york comedy i felt like a lot of people respected what i did but I had no idea really what like i was an outlier and sure. people were like, it's cool that you built a thing and got a TV show, and then they'd watch the public access show and be like, "The show is insane. It makes no sense." But it's cool <laughs> that you did that. Like, <laughs> so to go to fest and meet all those great people and and um, a lot of people have great admiration for it. It was really, it was really cool to feel like, oh, I, I bet all these people in their cities
1: feel that way sometimes too. Man, that's a really, that is a very astute and kind of perfect observation about that. Partially because that's how I feel about punk as a community in general. Like it feels like that side of punk, especially like older punks, it's like um, it's like an ever shrinking niche. Uh, and uh, and like I guess what I'm saying is like there aren't a lot of people. It's a really like a rare breed of person that um, wants. Uh, the world to be softer and wants us to like uh, talk about our feelings and be open about that but doesn't want everything to be about that like what I always loved about punk was it was aggressive but in a healthy way so I had like this aggression and feelings and those two together don't marry that often and uh and yeah, I love people like that, and for the exact same reason. It's
2: it's so yeah. funny you say that because I will often just miss the boat totally on bands, and then years later go, I guess I'll check out this. Th-. Like I haven't listened to that Arcade Fire album yet that <laughs> won the Grammy. Like I'm like I'll listen to it at some point. Everybody says it's great. It's, yeah, I I'll I'll usually like obsess over one or two things at a time, and surprisingly, for a Jersey guy who was in the New Brunswick punk scene, I never. Totally got into Lifetime. Like I, I, me I neither. I've been listening to Jersey's Best Dancers constantly during the pandemic, and it's exactly what you described, Where it sounds like hardcore, has all these like breakdowns. And then you listen to the lyrics, and it's there's literally lines like uh, "Can't think of anything I'd rather do than have my heart broken by you." But it's delivered in the midst <laughs> right. of just like noise and guitars and drums so fast they almost don't even sound like they match the song. And you're like, this sounds so tough, but. the... <laughs> It's, uh,
1: I wonder yeah. too if it's I don't know if we've actually ever talked about this I've like uh, through like you know watching and listening to your stuff I know it about you but maybe you don't about me that I like also uh, my formative years were in that scene I did uh, know
2: that just because there's so few of us you know right. like you just catch wind in these things of, and, and you know like sometimes I'll go to a space where I know that it's not a space that comet is in a comedy circuit and I'm being included because of Yeah. My punk association. I hear about the other comedians who step through there and then you know, everybody hears about Kyle and then Jonah Ray and then I learn about all the fest people and that's when I yeah and I came to learn you had that background, people like Sam Talent and Claire O'Kane where they're just like these outliers where I go, oh, okay, those are my people. Yeah. Those are my people. And part of it is that you're a lonely wanderer when you're a comedian, <laughs> but I know they're out there. It's cool.
1: For sure. Yeah, I don't know. Isn't that funny? Like, I'm 38, and like that, that feel, what that did for me, what like the punk scene did for me back then, it like is, uh, it just sticks with me forever. <laughs> and I specifically, oh. though, mean, I don't know if I, so I grew up in Orange County, New York. And so I, okay, yeah, I like literally went to, I think I was probably, I was a little removed because I was not in Jersey. I was a little further north, but I, and it was probably a few years after when you were there a lot, you had probably gone to college or maybe there was a year overlap. Yeah, I
2: I just turned 41. So I would not be surprised if there were some bands that you and I both saw that you probably don't know about unless you were. Wow! In our area of the world, at the same time.
1: Well, I very specific. I got really excited when I found a podcast hosted by the guy from Lane Meyer, and then I saw that you did this podcast. Yeah, Lane, so Meyer. You Lane Meyer. Oh yeah, I have their like uh, stories from the big screen EP somewhere around here. That's crazy. So
2: we're like that whole NJPP scene. Like, we're, was it also like humble beginnings and big wig and?
1: Bigwig was my favorite band in high school for sure. Yeah, this makes sense. This makes. I sense. had a Youth Ahead hoodie. Did you ever see the Youth, Youth Ahead? The <laughs> I
2: saw Youth Ahead about a dozen times. And yeah, dude, Tom from Bigwig was the guitarist in a band called Felix Frump for a while, and that was oh. actually the first show I ever saw. He played with them. No way. Uh, yeah. So we we have. a... I mean, I bet where I'm a little older, I had you. Like, does the age out mean, like, Weston was huge for me? Bouncing Souls were huge for me. I bet that's where it
1: starts to maybe slip a little bit. Three years difference in there. Well, actually, more than I think about it, the separation is probably more because of where I was. Like, I didn't have, I wasn't really a part of the scene, is actually really what it probably was. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. It was because I lived in not only Orange County, New York, but I lived in Greenwood Lake, which is a town of 3,000 with no grocery store. And I got, we didn't have our own high school. I went to high school in Tuxedo. And God. in my high school, there was one other punk kid that went to shows and it was my best friend. And so I knew some friends from this neighboring town. I had this some friends uh, in this neighboring town, Warwick, but we weren't even close. And they had like a bunch of punks in their school. But other than that, I would drive half an hour or an hour to go to, you know... Club Benet in South Amboy, which became Club Chrome, or to go to the Birch Hill nightclub <laughs> uh, or bunka wasn't it, it? Wasn't
2: Birch Hill? It used to be called bunka Oh,
1: I don't know. I never I went so. when it was called Hunkabunca. That's
2: cr- and isn't yeah. Greenwood Lake? I mean, this is now just like we. Cle- I think we probably do have a lot of commonalities because if I remember right, Greenwood Lake is like on the sort border. Of Right next to West Milford, New Jersey, right? West Milford's the other side of Greenwood Lake from Clinton Road. Yeah. The notorious haunted road, the most haunted road in New Jersey, Clinton Road crosses over from West Milford into I think Upper Greenwood Lake up there, right?
1: Wow. Okay. I never knew I like have heard of Clinton Road, but I never knew it was a haunted road. That's Yeah. (laughs) I worked at a magazine called Weird New Jersey that was all about
2: haunted places and urban legends in Jersey and we did a whole issue just on Clinton Road. No shit. That's oh, cool. Yeah. Ghosts, the KKK, witches, they got everything on Clinton. Road. Everything.
1: Well, I will also say that that part of America is so poor and destitute and so remote that it has a lot of demons just in general. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's a very fascinating area. Yeah, totally. It is like and I think uh I mean it's just a theory but I think that's why the punk scene was so great. Like, I needed it. I really... Oh, and I remember, yeah. like, going to shows and... I mean, all I did... I didn't really drink in high school. I Like, by the end, I did. But I, I hated my school. I didn't feel like anyone liked me, as we were just talking about. I, uh, I couldn't ever imagine that they did. And so I just went to these shows. Because it felt like people were nice, but they wanted to, like, uh, go crazy. And, uh, yeah... Now I wonder first because first
2: of all too I'm remembering like I used to go to a bunch of shows at I think it was a VFW hall in Ringwood New Jersey that wasn't too far from you it's pretty close and I never
1: went there I ended up at the Wayne
2: Firehouse oh a bunch of times. course yeah, the Wayne yeah. Firehouse and Skaters World those were legendary places Wayne Firehouse had some shows that I think like people like history really a lot of the you know like Thursday and Midtown and Saves yeah. the Day and those bands I think. When they before they broke were playing those places but i wonder if you had the same experience i did where you know i was this artsy kid i i was you know i was you're from the sticks it's fair to say i i was from more like a like very blue collar neighborhood where everybody's on top of each other and like you didn't you didn't really like like north jersey like you didn't really say you wanted to be an artist where I was from. That wasn't a reality. I didn't know any art. Like my grandparents were both immigrants. It was like almost like people would root for you to fail if you had aspirations in that direction. And, and I remember going to punk shows and saying, okay, here's the, like you start to realize it's not just people with like blue hair, which was shocking back then. It's not now, but like, it's not just the people with facial piercings. It's the creative people and I wonder if you had this too, where I would watch the bands who were really good at banter in between songs. Yes. And I'm going, I'm never gonna learn how to play guitar, but that that is almost the real show to me with a lot of these bands. Like Man. And that that was the early like I would yeah. love to, I would love to be a lead singer so I could tell the jokes in between songs. It was kind of my first
1: realization of, of where I was headed. Wow. That is, you know, what's funny is that I think the same thing happened to me. Yes, but I also don't think I ever recognized it, <laughs> I, <laughs> which is kind of the story of my life. But I, man, one of my um, favorite bands that everybody I knew hated. Um, I will say, I said I didn't have friends. By the end of going to a lot of shows, I ended up knowing right. people. Right? But uh, they're not your—they're not from your high school, but you, totally. you get there. You know. Um, and I, there was this band that I loved that everybody hated. Hated. But you know them because they opened for Bigwig at almost every show for a few years. And they were from right where I grew up. They were from Monroe, New York. And they were called Beefcake. Uh, uh, and, like, uh, Beefcake <laughs> was so funny. Like, the guy would wear that troll wig and uh-huh. just, like, be a complete moron on stage, and all their songs were about, like, shitting <laughs> and stuff like that, uh-huh. and I just remember being like, this is awesome, and everyone was like, this band sucks, and I, I, like, I loved it. I have their their CD somewhere.
2: I love it. Weston, that was the thing about that. Like, their banter was great. They'd come out and play in their boxers. I loved Mm. it. Their shows were like goofy and fun, and then there were other people like that. And then you start to like like I was a big Mr. T Experience fan, and when you listen to their lyrics, they're super funny. A lot of them, you know, like to write a song called "Even Hitler Has a Girlfriend" or (laughs) "Alternative Is Here to Stay." You know, it's like they're funny. They make you laugh, and then even some of the weirder bands, like there was a band on lookout called servotron who would they really catchy but they would dress as robots for their shows and oh, that's great uh, yeah like things that had jokes in it or theatricality to it i really took to that not every band i liked fit that bill but i remember really really having a soft spot for some bands that maybe other people didn't love and it's because they were funny and to be able to be funny and creative and to same thing that everybody who discovers punk in high school has where you go to a show and you go, I'm 16. And these people on stage seem like gods to me. And then you f- hear through the grapevine and you talk to them, you're like, they're 19.
1: Yeah. I'm 16.
2: This yeah. is not
1: so far away. Like, They you- also are literally not far away from you is another beautiful thing about punk. Yeah. You are five feet from them in an accessible space and you can see them load in. You can see their car you can it's it definitely makes it uh seem possible and and sure. you're you're probably if you're going over there to buy their
2: 7-inch or their t-shirt it's probably one of the band members selling it yeah. to you at that level you know yeah. at that age and i i i still i thank god for it every day yeah because i really felt like i was like i got fire in my gut when I was young you know I showed up in the city 20 years old and jumped in at UCB when it was just starting which you know I think a lot of people it's now very in, in vogue to to slam improv and I think a lot of stand-ups don't love how UCB treated people in New York at the end at least but in the early days you can't deny it was it was something really special and I remember walking in there and going i feel like I used to feel at shows here and it turns out a lot of the people were in bands previously dude th- do you know John Ross Bowie he's a I UCB don't. guy and he's um he, I know the he name pl- he played a character on Big Bang Theory and he was the lead on uh, I think it was Speechless with Mini Driver he's one of my good friends to this day he used to run the registrations for their school so I first when I first called UCB because he used to just send in like a $25 check and I think maybe he called me back and he was like, we don't have any slots in classes this summer. And they were so small then. It was like, you're going to have to wait till October. I was like, it's right. like June. And I remember saying to him, because it's such a distinctive name, John Ross Bally, I go, you don't happen to be the guy who used to play bass and sing in Egghead, are you? And he's like, what? Because <laughs> they were this bad. Talk about a funny band. So funny. And they ran a fanzine called Go Metric. Which I think for a lot of kids in Jersey, it really caught on, and I mean it was probably more comedy than music. It was a lot of funny articles and then record reviews. So, I, and so so long story short, I said, "Yeah, have your seven inch man." It was called, you know, knock off that evil. I was like, "I've been reading Go Metrics since issue two. I think you guys are the best." Like, I once got in trouble with my mom because she told me I couldn't go to. Uh, there was a show they put on in Berkeley Heights, New Jersey. And my mom told me I couldn't go, but it was the only time you guys were playing Jersey. and So I went and I got grounded and he was laughing, but he goes, look, dude, you're in the class, just show up. Just show up, <laughs> you're in the class. Wow. <laughs> Almost, cause I actually think about it too. And I go, man, if I had to wait six months, i I was in such a bad spot back then in college. And mentally, I was so close to giving up. I'm like, I don't know what would have happened. Like, maybe I would have picked it up six months later. But even then, I look back and I go, UCB was so small then you didn't have to audition to be on their teams. They were just like, if you're good in class, you have to do that. I bet if I had to audition, which would have happened, I bet the pressure would have broken me. I bet I wouldn't have, it would have taken me a few tries or maybe it wouldn't have happened, you know? So, Punk, I think pretty directly actually helped in a hands on way to, to get me moving.
1: Wow. Yeah. This yeah. is, can I tell you, I, and I I would bet uh, it's uh, similar for you, maybe not, I don't know, it's just a guess, but comedy uh, has been getting me down lately. And Dude! <laughs> yeah. I'm glad we're talking. I'm <laughs> yeah.
2: tired of the think pieces. Yes. Tired of the mm-hmm. pot shots. I'm tired of... People honestly on both sides who live on the extremes and just co-opt things that other yeah. people are saying because it's it's bullshit on one end and then on the other end, it's diluting important messages. I'm tired of it. Is that the type of shit you're talking That's about?
1: exactly what I'm talking about. There's this, like, uh, yeah, there are these two sides of which one is, like, way worse. There's this, like, army of macho that somehow yeah. made its way into comedy and I... It's just... You know, scary and tough in a lot of ways, and then there's, you know, another side that's um, politically I agree with, but a lot of the times are so mean that I don't understand <laughs> what happens. Uh, and um, obviously, it's like really complicated, and there's a lot in there, and and all that, and uh, but, and so it's like tough to talk about because we're wrapped in it, up in it, and um, every person is different and everyone who's involved uh, has like gone to one side or the other to some degree which so you can't like I don't know I don't really get mad at people and I understand it's weird and crazy and I know we're all complex individuals but when I just look at the whole picture I'm like fuck man this is no fun I'm sad and people are mean a lot of the time (laughs) yeah and like I don't
2: necessarily like I live in New Jersey now And I know in LA, everybody has to drive. It's like, I don't know if I want to jump in a car. I want to jump in a car and go do shows to practice my craft because looking people in the eye and making jokes and feeling like, oh, if I can get you to laugh, maybe you're feeling better about this day. That's still fun. But do I want to be in a green room or sitting at a table waiting to go on with a bunch of people who... I, I wonder about their actual morals or their intentions. Yeah. Like, it's not the most fun thing to get in a car and be like, all right, like, I don't get to eat dinner with my wife and son tonight because I got a show and I might be sitting here with someone where I wonder what they think of me. I'm in a weird spot, man, because I'll tell you what, like, 21 years in New York doing comedy, starting at UCB, you know, have done stand up. I'm passed at the cellar. I don't think you could have two environments as different as like the early days of UCB. I think everybody, if you know me, you know my public access show. I I hired, I stem, the writers rooms I hired, and this was years ago, before it was woke, before it was like buzzwords. I gave a lot of really good people their first jobs, their second jobs, and in an era where there were think pieces going, why is, you know, I think it was Colbert. Why is every writer a white guy? You looked at my writer's room opposite that. Not because I was woke, but because I go, now I have a right to do a lot more ideas. It's, mm. out, it's value, you know? So I, I always felt like politically I lived on one end, but a lot of the OG macho people, actually, I get along with. And right. have a lot of respect for me. Because they look at me and they go, you built your own thing you've been doing it as long as you have you go out you sell tickets god bless you i think there's maybe a generation that idolizes them and doesn't like i actually think tough crowd was a brilliant 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 show yeah i think a lot of the people involved with that have taken some big swings do i always agree with what they say with no but do i get get the sense consistently that they're trying to rattle the chains and actually like get the gears turning on some thoughts. Yeah, I think that there is intention behind it. I think now a lot of the a lot of the guys who have taken some pot shots at me are kind of in a derivative thing where they're trying to chase that, but they're not taking the same chances. And it doesn't necessarily it doesn't to me have the integrity of even if I disagree with it, at least I trust like like Patrice O'Neill I don't agree with a lot of what that guy said, but I watch a lot of what he did. I go, man, you're making people uncomfortable in a way that I like. Even if I don't like what you're saying, I, I recognize the, in the same Lenny Bruce and George Carlin way. You know, it's not landing on the right side of the line for me, but I see that in you. Some of these people take pot shots at me, many of whom I have never met, never been in the same room with. I go, I think you're chasing the end result of what those guys did, or the surface level of what they did, I don't know that there's anything smart behind this, you know, and yeah. the thing that gets me mad, dude, is there's this dialogue with that crowd that it's like, well, if we can say if we can sell tickets, then let us go what we do, man, that's the people speaking, that's that you know, like sure, stop being so p c and I actually agree with that to a degree, I actually sit here, I go. I take a deep breath, I believe in free speech, and I believe that a lot of the best comedy is like 52%, like a lot of what Pryor said, I'm sure when he was working it out, did not make people feel good. There's some legendary examples, but then I watch the best of it, I go, man, you caused actual change, and it was funny as hell. But the thing that bugs me is a lot of these people made fun of my depression special, and I go, well, if the whole thing is, hey, if you can build an act Even if it's not mainstream, but you can make it work and you can build a career and sell tickets, then you should. Everybody should back off. Well, you're not giving that to me, so it's just because you don't like me. It's because you see me as some emo storyteller, and that's worth trash. Well, if your whole justification is, "Hey, I have an act that I can live off of," so back off. If you don't extend that to me, then you just want to say offensive shit, and you're a hypocrite. So I don't trust any of those people who do that. So. There are some people in there where I go, I think their intentions are actually good. And I, I try to take a deep breath and go, maybe something good. But I don't think I, I have been in the crossfire a little bit where I go, there's hypocrisy
1: here. So I don't buy it. I don't buy it. So anyway, I don't know if it's uh, going to be a consolation. First of all, like, I mean, no matter what, dude, anyone taking potshots at you, it just sucks. It's not ever going to feel good. Even no. if you hate them. So I'm sorry you're going through that. It's like, okay. and s- then when there's a pandemic and you can't even
2: go get the validation of wait, I do get la- it was a bad yeah. year with that.
1: It put yeah. me in my head. That's yeah, that's fucking hard. But also, I don't even know. Granted, I've backed off from social media, so I, I don't know if that's Whoa, why. But it's I the best I have. I don't know what you're talking about. I don't even know who you're saying. So no one
2: does. Right, almost no one cares. Yeah.
1: But it it's addressed to me, right? So I
2: know about it yeah, and it doesn't matter, and it's really I can think of really three people who have gone there and uh and and two of them I've never even met, yeah, two of them I've never even met, and I go, so I don't care, but then you know, you sit there and you go, Who else is thinking this? yeah, and it's weird and and then also, to be honest, like, it's hard not to sit here and go, man, like I'm surprised that I haven't heard from more friends who were. Reaching out or defending me, you know, like, right. Cause they're all, you know, there's some of them who I know were reading about it. And, and then you get really paranoid. Cause I, with my mental illness, when it's at its worth, I struggle with severe paranoia. I've actually been on antipsychotics for it. Oh, wow. So glad to say that that's not been the case for many years, but I sit here and I go, it's hard not to be paranoid and go, you know, when I was, when I had a TV show and I was able to give people jobs, I, I think I would have heard from more people then, you know, and then. Man, I go, yeah. I don't even know if there's truth to that or if that's just the paranoia getting severe, but it's fucking weird, man. So I'm, long story short, when you say you're tired of the scene, I am with you and I'm making this nice active, in, active intention. And, and this, this special that I, I'm doing, not, and I'm not trying to slip in plugs, it's mostly at music venues and a lot of DIY yeah. spaces. And I, I, that is very, very intentional. To go. Let me try to live on the outskirts of a scene that I think
1: is a little healthier than ours right now. <laughs> Dude, I cannot tell you the depth of which uh, I relate to you, and the amount of things you said I relate to. It's yeah, wow. I'm happy that we talked about that. Me and too. It's, it's man. It's I. It's funny, isn't it? How like you were saying, um, a lot of those old school macho guys. You get along with I have the same experience and I I went through a weird period in comedy where I like came up on the alt side of comedy in L.A., but I like grinded out stand up. And, you know, Mm -hmm. when you do that, you end up getting along with people who are grinding out stand up. So a lot of my buddies in L.A. are like people in that world who are just comics who that's where they gravitate toward. And as shit went on, it became pretty alienating to be like, well, I just want to get good at this. And like you were saying, I respect the craft. And so I'm very willing to watch a comic and let them go and be like, I fucking really don't like what you're saying, but I'm going to give you the benefit of the doubt because I'm a comedian. You know what I mean? Exactly. And and you take a deep breath and you go, am I getting the
2: sense that there's something behind this? Am I getting the sense that there's something driving this? And if there is, I'm happy to take a deep breath and go ACLU man, like I don't agree with what you say, but I defend your right to say it. But yeah, if you just want to say something racist and then say stop being two PC, it's like it's totally. at that point I've never understood of like okay, you're allowed to say whatever you want. When did that mean there's no consequences? Because Lenny Bruce pissed everyone off, but you know what else happened? He lost his cabaret card, and it drove him to his death. There right. were consequences. He stood by them. Prior Carlin, same thing. There were a lot of people very, very unhappy with what they said. They knew that was coming. They handled that. So we gotta do that too. But I also want to say like like some people who I think might be associated as like some of the the, the original maybe not original, but like like previous generation of the mod like Jim Norton. I love. Right. Right jim norton i I think is brilliant and i've had great conversations one of the only people who went out of his way with one of these incidents to pull me aside and be like that was fucked up and it shouldn't happen and i he, he goes as soon as i read that my first instinct was you're coming after gethard why it was keith robinson so there's comics out there who i think are that's the thing man that's the thing it's like if the respect doesn't go both ways than right. any 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 like ring of the bell of pc cancel culture
1: is bullshit it's yeah. bullshit if yeah. it
2: doesn't go in every direction and if totally. it's if it's supposed to be comics protect comics can't just be comics only protect comics right that they like it can't be that so yeah can't take it can't take a punk that's another punk thing right yeah <laughs> one of the first things that happens to punk and one of the, i think a lot of the people who are attracted to punk are completely reviled at, by and allergic to hypocrisy yeah like the they're the kids who are smart enough to go this teachers who I'm watching this teacher pick on me give me shit and I bet it's just because she's having a bad day at home with her husband the night before I'm not doing shit you hypocrite (laughs) it's not about me I once had a teacher who's dude my older brother was such a fucking troublemaker and I once had a teacher yell at me that's what I should expect from a gethard and I was like you're gonna judge my whole fucking family Cause you didn't like my brother three years ago. Like I have no fucking respect for you. I'm gonna go to a show and watch fucking Heckle and Ensign and all these other weird hardcore bands. Wow, that Ensign,
1: Ensign, man, yeah. still have their seven inch somewhere. That's crazy, man. Yeah, what a relief. And I will say also to to make to bring it up to like a positive end of that conversation. Yeah. I do feel like we are also in like a very. Uh, tumultuous era in which people Are just like hurt A lot of people are in pain And uh, a- and so like yes. Emotions yes. are heightened And I also think like another thing that makes Comedy harder this occurred to me recently uh, Like we are all Chasing a dream and at a certain Point you have to at, Well at multiple points you have to reassess That dream right We're at like critical mass With comedians and also stand up hasn't actively genrefied itself yeah. so we are all in the same pool we all interact we do the same venues we are considered the same so we're sort of forced into the same bubble on the internet and the reality is that even though it's not a defined amount it is still a finite amount of people that are going to be able to make a career out of this and i honestly think that that a lot of people are like short circuiting and i like you know it also sort of feels like this is the fall of the Roman empire and all sorts of shit. So maybe this period of time will never end not to yeah. get too fucking socialist about it, but like, but I do have confidence that like things come and go in waves. And as we pull out of quarantine, maybe a year or two, three from now, it will level out again because I, because like you were talking about mutual respect amongst people who consider this an art and give it the, the love that it's due and then have respect for the others who are doing it kind of like ends up winning overall. I think um, I everyone else so. will genrefy. I really do think into some sort of, it'll become a bunch of podcasts where everyone's just pissed at each other. You know what I mean? <laughs> I think,
2: <laughs> <laughs> well, I think it's, I actually think it's getting there in a way that's very interesting where I think the two camps that we're talking about, actually are genre fine. I think that there is now such a devoted fan base towards stuff that is shocking and intentionally inappropriate and then and like baiting reactions along that way. I think that they will all be able to be on the same bills with each other and sell a ton of tickets. Yeah. And like I said, for the ones who I respect mazel tov. and for the ones who I don't I don't respect it. And then I also think that the the other wing, like you say, if maybe again and again I want to be careful because these are the politics I agree with, but the thing that scares me is the people who only make it about being angry but maybe aren't maybe you're going a little more for clapter with that. That yeah. freaks me out because I'm like it, it waters down the messages that I really want to hear, and it scares me, because I'm like, is there now so much static that is hard that is it hard also validates
1: I- the free speech argument. That's oh. one of the things that irritates me yeah. the most, is like, if I'm... First of all, you know, when you're a comic, is you can totally agree with someone's politics, but if they say something, and they just get a bunch of claps, and then that's the end of the sentence, I'm like, are you doing stand-up or fucking not, man? What are we doing here? Like, it just frustrates me, yeah. even when I agree. And that's tough because I'm a fucking straight white dude, so fuck me. I, I It's got to be validating to stand in front of a room and be like, this is my struggle and people clap. So I have a lot of sympathy for that. But there's always going to be that thing echoing in the back of my mind like, "This. I don't know if this is good for stand-up. But it's but, also for, Sorry, but I... I, you're my guest, and I've interrupted you like three No, no, times no, inside. no, no. I've been doing the same thing: being in a room, and uh, and there's a bunch of clapter. Like that's what people that are like—they're taking our, they're trying to take comedians' jobs. These PC people—that's what they point to. It's yeah. like they point to this clapter shit, and it's like, well, stop doing it. Be funny. Be
2: better. And that's on all sides, right? That's on all sides. If if you're gonna if you're gonna if you're gonna hide within this art form only to create negativity, angst, and fear. I do have a problem with that. I will say, the people I politically agree with, I think that that might be genre in a way where I'll go, this is taking on more of a feeling of performance art, activism. Yeah. And if that is something that gets up on its own two legs, I could see that being a really beautiful thing that separates itself. Even totally. Because a lot, you know, my old suicide special, one of the criticisms that comedy fans have is like, oh, you spent so much time without laughs, letting it get sad. Like, um, you know, my podcast with the phone calls, Beautiful Anonymous, instantly, I thought it was going to be a very comedy-driven thing. It's not. It's very much about, you know, it'll get super dark sometimes with the stories that come out. So I might be part of the problem with that, but what I know is that my, my job is to try to get ideas out there and create a place where people feel safe, but where I get enough laughs that it's not, I'm not trying to create like a community center.
0: <laughs>
2: and with my TV show, like I said, I, 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 stepped up and there's a lot of people who had their first writing gig, the first acting gig. I go, that's what I can do as a 41 year old white guy is try to make sure it's not performative. Try to make sure that my style is honest to me. Try to facilitate the artists who I think are the best versions of the people whose politics I would love to shine a spotlight on. Thank God that I have enough of a fan base that I can sell a decent amount of tickets. If I have the chance to bring an opener, make it an opener who's saying some shit that I want to be heard. Even if it's not exactly my my message, get that message out. Even if, it's, even if that's spreading its message, great. Or even if it's, hey... Being on the road is a little different and takes a little bit of a thicker skin than the spaces you're used to. Come, I, I can help expose you to that and get you ready for more judgment when there's a bigger stage. Those are the things I can do. Now, is it scary to feel like there's genres building on extreme ends and then go, <laughs> well, what happens to those of us in the middle, especially when Netflix is putting out 100 specials a year, right? and probably most Americans are, a little tired of reading about the fucking melodrama within comedy. What's going to happen? I don't know. I'm lucky I've been doing it long enough that maybe I'll be okay, but it's a weird middle ground.
1: I will. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, you said literally what scares me, you know, it's funny. Like, um, I have to be positive about it, but all the, like I already, I don't know about you, but I, have you seen that show Hacks at all yet? The HBO Max show? I haven't,
2: but my friend Megan Stalter is on it. So oh. I have it. I have a two-year-old, so I can only watch one show at a time. <laughs> sure. so I'm way, I just wrapped up WandaVision last night. So Oh, wow. <laughs> it's I chase a kid around all day, and then my wife and I collapse on the couch. We watch 20
1: minutes of the thing, and then one or
2: both of us is asleep.
1: But yeah, I have right. not
2: seen Hacks yet, but I have a friend on it.
1: It's great. I don't know, Meg. I know who she is, but I'm close with uh, Hannah Einbinder, who's one of the stars. And um, and so I'm watching it, and the thing is that uh, everyone in it's great. Meg is maybe the funniest part of it, which is saying a lot. Uh, um, Meg Stalter is one of the funniest people right now. It's a powerhouse. Crazy how funny she is. Hannah's great, and Gene Smart is great, and the whole thing is great. But watching it, I'm is like reminding me I, how much I hate this other thing about <laughs> comedy, which is. You gotta hustle in this way that is also social and it just really makes me feel bad. Oh (laughs) we gotta hang out. Next (laughs) time you're on the East Coast, let me know. Let me know. We gotta hang out. Well, I think we're doing uh, Fest again together this year. Yeah, so I'll see you at least in October. At least
2: I think I'm I'm coming through California Mm -hmm. in the fall, but not Los
1: Angeles. But but yeah, I'm I'm with you. The dude. Oh, you know what? I'm gonna be in New York. I'll hit you up. I'm going to be in New York in July. I don't have exact dates yeah. yet, but I'll let you Let know. me know. Let yeah. me know we'll, we'll we'll grab some food or something. I'm I'm with you. I'm horrible at being
2: social. Yeah. I'm horrible at it. I've dropped the ball on pitches anytime cuz I, I and it's like I don't want to talk shit and and a part of it is I'm just bad at it and that is a skill I don't have. But I also once pitched to a guy who's wearing a neon hat during the pitch <laughs> and I was just like I can't I cannot yeah. sit here and try to convince a person in a neon hat who's behaving like a <laughs> lunatic. Just where I go, I'm getting the sense that I don't respect this person. I, I just, I'm I, all that happens to me there is I clam up and go. I can't pretend that I want to like be your buddy and get drinks with you. Which yeah, I
1: can't do it. I can't do it. I can't. It's I can't that, do it. I would actually even say I'm pretty social. I'm like pretty extroverted. I actually really like it. I think I'm actually pretty good at it. But I, the pretending is so exhausting. And you, and I, I actually do. I mean, like, I'm not trying to like go back on what I just said because I am relating. I'm just trying to be totally honest. I do think that in a, I can you know hobnob. I think I can good. have fun, you know. But and for my first few years, I was like. You know like get along with everyone And then as it went on it's just sort of like You know we're not all friends Not because people are necessarily bad It's just we're not all friends And I can't pretend we're not just all employees I can't pretend we're best friends And it feels like Eli Yudin Who is I love Eli I don't know if you know him He's a New York comic Uh He referred to it as the never ending sleepover And it's true It feels like you gotta just act like we're all fucking tight (laughs) Well, it this is an
2: unbelievably cathartic situation cuz I've also had some people who I worked very closely with where now that now that the TV show is over, I've been, I've just been kind of surprised at the direction things went. Not hearing from some people. Sure. That's okay. Um you know, some people I was close with where kind of, kind of, uh, couple emails that went out to a group of people that put me where I felt like I'm really under a magnifying glass here in a way I don't expect where I thought I was amongst friends. And uh, it threw me for such a loop. It's a a big part of why I switched medications during the pandemic is dwelling on these friendships and these, these relationships from afar with shit talking. My shrink said something to me, I believe quoting the book, The Art of Loving, where she said, the only relationship in humanity that is not transactional is mother and child everything else someone's getting something out of it and maybe that's you're getting friendship that's still a transaction wow it's still a transaction right people are getting something out of every relationship and i hate thinking that way because i my ideals are that life is not that but i Do sometimes think that i've made major sacrifices in the name of it not being that and there's a handful of regrets there you know there's some regrets
1: yeah i
2: wonder if i'd have a little bit of a more stable life if i had been a little more cutthroat and transactional you know Um, i wonder if some projects i've been a part of would have had a longer shelf life or would have spread further and wider if i wasn't obsessively obsessively fighting to do what I thought it was the quote unquote right way and I'm very proud I did that but then when some of the relationships involved in that just fizzle and go away it's like well what was that worth what was I fighting I was fighting for family man I was fighting for unity which is again similar to the punk rock scene too right of like where I go what was that I was fighting so hard for it because I believed in it. Did you not believe in it the whole time? Or is that just it's time for all of us to move on? And if it's the second one, that's great. If it's the first one, I got used. It's going to take me a long time to sort that out. It's going to take me a long time to sort that out.
1: Yeah, man. Talk about cathartic. I like, I totally. I think it's also, there's, I mean, the fucked up thing about comedy too is that even in, and probably with any, uh any art form or any business in which uh there's no clear understanding of how you're going to make it work you know and there's a lot of people doing it it's probably like that in all these situ like this in all those situations you it's maddening because you could even have the most genuine friendship that will exist forever that could be the least transactional relationship possible. And it's still complicated because you still want each other to think each other are funny. Right. And so that right there is a trans, the most pure
2: relationship you have. I still want you to like me at the end of the day. I still,
1: that's the transaction. Can I get you to like me? And that variable, I think for somebody with any mental illness, uh, complicates literally every relationship. I mean, I know it's, That's why socializing is exhausting for me. Is that I, while I might be good at the, you know, the doing of it and enjoy it in the moment, I'm fully believe every time I do it, the entire time that everyone I'm talking to hates me. It's Mm -hmm. almost impossible for me to overcome that feeling. And so it's just fucking exhausting. And then you throw, so it's already difficult, even if you don't have that, but with that, so difficult with just the one variable, please like me. And now there's this second variable, please think I'm funny. And it's just like, and then there's work on top of it. And then there's chasing a dream and it just gets so, you know, and I've actually noticed myself having difficulty on both sides, man. I like, you know, I mean, you know exactly what it feels like to get a TV credit, how you don't feel any different. When you get a TV credit, A lot of people like until you get one that is one that matters to you uh, or actually fuck that one that matters to other people. You don't really know that what happens is you generally came upon it in a pretty roundabout way that didn't involve the entire industry deciding you're incredible. Uh, (laughs) I like I got uh, I was four years into stand up when I did Drunk History which is early and huge. It's like one of the best comedy shows ever. But what happened was there was a man, there was a a woman who managed some of those guys who loved me, but wouldn't manage me. And I didn't have a manager and I'd been bombing all year. And I lucked out. I had this one good tape of myself from the moth that she gave to Derek and he liked it and we met and it worked. And, and so, like, that's a big deal, and I'm very proud that I got to do it, you know, and it's cool that it happened, don't get me wrong. But it wasn't like I worked and worked and slowly climbed through killing every day until Comedy Central was like, well, we must give him one thing. <laughs> but, like, I, could, I noticed when that happened, like, once it was released, like, some people that I had come up with treated me a little differently, even if it was positive. Whereas I didn't, and looking back, I didn't even notice it then. It was just sort of weird. And then looking back, it's like, oh, our relationship got weird. And See, then i oh, sorry. Oh, no, go for it. And then what? And then I've also noticed me doing the exact opposite thing where I like, man, I had to, I had to really check myself. I did it three times or maybe more before I noticed it. A friend of mine who kind of got famous, someone who I love, who I get along with. Who we do shows together and care for, you know, like when we hang out, we share feelings and thoughts and really get along and like go out of our way (laughs) to connect. Even if we never see each other comedians, I really get along with. I'd see. And um, and we're like after having not seen them for a couple of years and they had a TV show blow up or whatever and they one of them in particular i i remember it very well they were like hey i just did good heroin your stand up show and uh and you weren't there and i made really I, and it made me really sad and i was like oh yeah sure it made you really sad sure sure, sure yeah and they were like what no it <laughs> it did and i'm like right. yeah 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 whatever whatever and then i walked away and realized i had been a real dick in that moment <laughs> but like assuming that i was now less than or they didn't care about me because of a change in their situation that was perceived by me yeah and it it fucking complicates everything man yeah see i mm-hmm. i was
2: almost the exact inverse okay because i so i i'm where i am cuz i got in right place right time i mm-hmm. i was 20 years old i was too young to be intimidated i showed up at ucb when it was still tiny it was tiny and it was art driven, and it was cool. It hadn't blown up yet. Yeah. To comedy college, and of course, none of us thought we were going to get paid because there were ten people in the crowd every night. You know, they were ten extremely cool people on that bill, right. but <laughs> of course, you're not going to get paid. And then, it, right. I, obviously, things should have changed along the way. They didn't, and it's it's it got became a huge bummer in New York, and now the place has gone there, and it makes me sad. But I was doing very well there. Starting in 2000, pretty young, people were like, oh, this kid's like, this is like the young buck, you know? Going on and on. And in 2010, so I'd been going 10 years. I miraculously, there was a sitcom on Comedy Central, the first time they tried a sitcom, and John Heater, who played Napoleon Dynamite, he dropped out last minute. And they, they auditioned 10 people last minute, all like young comedians who hadn't popped yet. Only two to get a call back were me and Matt Bronger. Whoa. I got it. It was produced by Ferrell and McKay. It was like Chris Parnell, Horatio Sands, and the cast. Now, Whoa. dude, I was the opposite sad thing, <laughs> which is. Because I was doing like ASCAT, which was the huge UCB show, being in shows where it was like Amy Poehler, Horatio Sands, Seth Meyers, Jason Sudeikis, and me. Like literally, that's the cast some nights. Where I'm like, And people are like, well, who is this guy? I had two friends of mine who I did that show with who were both writers on The Colbert Report who said to me after I got that job, they were like, we have had multiple conversations both in the ASCAT green room when you're not here and in the writer's room of Colbert. Where it will go down a rabbit hole where people will go, why can't Gethard get a fucking job? Like (laughs) I had someone dude, I had someone who was coming up behind me at UCB who is good, who said I was seriously thinking about quitting because I was going, Man, if this guy can't get a job, then I I can't do it. I'm like, oh, I was a cautionary tale. I was an object of pity. People felt bad for me how long has this been going on and (laughs) that was so sobering and then the show bombed it bombed (laughs) the write-ups were horrible comedy central aired it on a different night every week because they didn't want people to find it it bombed whoa but dude i will tell you it almost comes full circle on our conversation because when i bombed i remember reading these terrible reviews about myself And of course it stung, but I'm sitting here going, this isn't breaking me. And I'm someone who breaks pretty easily. Yeah, I I might break if I like pour the cereal into the bowl and then realize I'm out of milk and going, now I got to put them in cereal. But like (laughs) I might break over that, like some random nonsense. Why isn't this breaking me? And I sit, I sat down, I go, and I'm being legit. 'Cause the Gethard show was already at UCB and it was a pretty hot show and it was so it was insane and violent and dark and like chaotic and unpredictable. I'm going, that's what I really love. Huh. I'm like, I, I don't even watch sitcoms. So it's kinda like all ego to chase one. Huh. These reviews hurt, but I sat there and I committed to myself. I said, if I ever get crushed by reviews like this again needs to be for something I fucking believe in and care about. And all the people pat me on the back. There's all this press. and There was a New York Times profile about, oh, there's this guy. If you're in New York comedy scene, you probably know him. And he's finally getting his shot. That's a romantic story. But guess what? A sitcom that's replacing its star and then we're filming the first episode a week later probably, probably has some larger problems that aren't my fault. And I knew that. So... I met this guy, a former student of mine at UCB, who's like, dude, I work at the New York Public Access Station and the show you're doing, the Gethard show, it's it's nuts, but I think it would be such a good fit on public access. I took a deep breath. I said, man, I was the star of a sitcom. My agents are telling me, look, it bombed, but you're in the club now. Once you get one job like this, we can go get you an audition for everything next pilot season. You're in the club. You know, that is kind of how it works. I went... I don't think I'm an L.A. person. Schmoozing stresses me out. And I just don't know that I'm a fit there. And my family's all on the East Coast. And I said, I think I'm going to do this public access TV show. And I understood it was humiliating. I understood that I'm probably the only human being on Earth to go from the lead of a sitcom. Like, James Rebhorn played my dad, legendary actor. Like, I was the point person. I'm the only person, I have to imagine, who went from that that show I think was done in August. They aired the last episode. And I started hosting my public access show the beginning of the next July, it was less than a year. And I'm telling you, man, like, I had a bunch of friends from the UCB scene who I think saw that I was really driven to shake shit up and the Gethard show was like angry, and had a purpose. And a lot of my friends wanted to get on board. But like, My friend who wound up show running it on cable and who directed every episode and 200 episodes on public access, another friend of mine pulled him aside and said, don't be a part of this. Like, Gethard's humiliating himself. This is like a midlife crisis or something. Don't be a part of it. But I knew. I was like, I would rather do this thing that I lose money on that almost no one's going to understand than ever take it on the fucking chin again for a thing i don't believe in and that all comes down to like liking minor threat honestly well a lot of it just comes down to ian MacKay. honest to god like did you ever see the documentary another state of mind growing up i didn't you would love it to this day if a lot of it's cheesy but it follows youth brigade and social distortion on this tour and then the spoiler is their bus breaks down in Washington, D.C., and they wind up having to hang out at the Discord house forever. Huh. And I had a buddy who was a couple years older than me. When I was starting to like punk, he said, get, get a, go get another State of Mind, and you'll get it. And that VHS tape, I watched it about 100 times. And in particular, I mean, the Youth Brigade guys and the Social D guys, they say a lot of stuff about music and a lot of stuff about the scene taking care of each other. And it was great. But when they're broken down at Discord House, and I, I just see Ian Mackay talking about, I'm not going to give mainstream what they want. There's a quote. I, I've tried to find out. There's a guy named Jim who's a talking head in this thing. I've tried desperately to figure out who he was and what happened to him. I remember him saying, he's such a smart kid, young kid in it, early 20s tops. I remember him going, a lot of American capitalism presupposes that I want to pick up the ball where my parents leave off. That's the premise that I'm going to want to just pick up the ball when my parents kick it and keep going. But what if I don't want 2.2 kids? What if a white picket fence isn't where I want to end up with a couple cars in the driveway? What about that? There's a guy in that documentary dude who got hit by a car and he's a crust punk. And him and all his crust punk friends are there and they're acting tough to the cameras and snotty like crust punks do. But this guy got hit by a car and he's mentally and physically affected by it. And they finally slice through all the crust punky like nonsense. And he says this quote where he just looks into the camera and one of his eyes is all clouded over and he just goes, I am scared of people because people are scared of me. And there's like a bunch of quotes in that documentary that I think of where I go, man, that imprinted in my DNA. And I started that public access show because of seeing a VHS tape where Ian McKay dropped a bunch of fucking bombs when I was 14 years old. It really does come down to that. Honest to God. It Honest to God comes down to that. Where I, go, I don't give a fuck about these reviews from this sitcom. Three-camera sitcom. I make fun of them. So it's all ego to be on it. Let me go do this fucking thing. And for four years, no one gave a shit. And then it eventually worked out. And it's funny sometimes young New York comics I've really still to this day I don't miss doing improv at all but I miss teaching it because I got to I got to help the people coming up and I was the teacher I think who would say don't fucking worry about the social ladder at UCB like you this theater is here to serve you you're not here to serve it and and I wound up working with a lot of the students I would go I don't care if you're on a team yet you're fucking funnier than a lot of the people who are and to this day, I love I love when young comics need something, because I like being able to step up. I remember the people who did that for me, like John Bowie from Egghead. And Faria Khan, great, great comedian coming out of New York. Great com. I remember talking with her one night. She was kind of like opening up to me about some career frustration. And I said to her, oh, I've felt all those things. She's like, really? Because like ever since i've been in new york you're kind of one of the ones the alt comics look to is how can we get that i go you know i didn't get the pilot for the gethard show until i was 14 years in and comedy central passed on that pilot and we didn't get another network to bite until i was 16 years into my career we didn't get to cable until i was 16 years in and i'd had some other gigs along the way but nothing that stuck until 16 years that wasn't easy the reason I knew how to keep going was because when I was watching bands in VFW halls, they were only a couple of years older than I was. They made their own T-shirts. I can make my own T-shirts. That's who I
1: am. So, sorry to go off on a big fucking rant, but... Oh, man. Don't apologize. That was beautiful. And also, I feel so much better. <laughs> Good. <laughs> I, like, literally mean it, man. I'm, I'm 11, 12 years in, and because of everything we've talked about and how scary this all is in general, and I... I've been acting on those things, uh, what you're talking about, um, uh, how you feel about Ian McKay and punk in general. But I also wonder a lot if I should, and it's scary, and I I don't know if I should just uh, try to fucking be mainstream so I can afford to live, and this is just making me feel a lot better and a lot of people listening. So I, I really appreciate it. Man. Well, let me follow that up, too, and say it never
2: goes away. Like... That all happened when I was 16 years in. And that's a victory. And that show had 47 episodes on cable on top of 200 on public access. That's a victory. Yeah. I've been, I had an HBO special. That's a victory. I don't think a guy like me was supposed to get that. I perform everywhere in New York City. I'm welcome on any stage. Not everybody can do that. It's a victory. But now I'm 21 years in. And I wonder, right. why the fuck have I never gotten a job in a writer's room? That's what's safe right why aren't i doing i haven't done pilot season in 10 years why haven't i done it that's self-sabotage so i still have those i remember once i remember once being in the green room at ucb this helped me so much and i won't name the two people but i showed up and they were in a side room and they didn't realize i was there and i heard them saying these exact things i don't know if i'm going to get another job Hmm. should i move my family from la to new york because what if i get fired i'm going to have to move them back the kids are in school all the shit you and I are saying now, one of these people was a cast member on SNL at the time for like eight years, like eight years into a run. Whoa. And another one was a correspondent on The Daily Show at the time. Whoa. And I remember standing there and going, I feel like I'm eavesdropping, but I remember instantly realizing jobs don't solve the problem. I am just fucked up. And it wow. was actually very freeing. It's another part of why I felt okay doing public access because I'm going, my agents want me to go to LA because I might be able to get a bigger job or another big job or whatever. But like, it's not going to fix me. I'm just fucked up. (laughs) I'm just fucked up. So I might as well do the things I want to do. So same thing. It's never going to go. It's never going to, I can't, I'm never going to accomplish anything that makes me feel safe and comfortable and like it's not going to end tomorrow. It's never going to happen. For
1: guys like you and me, not going to happen. Jesus Christ, dude. This is like church, man. I fucking <laughs> really... <laughs> also, is this what
2: your podcast is? Because I was told to prepare like five things
1: about a specific topic. I thought we were going to well, talk
2: about lawn care.
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, that's the thing is that my podcast is both. I'm all feelings-y, you know, and uh-huh, so I uh, uh-huh. I go there a lot, but I'm also all dumb and I like dumb shit, so I try to ride the line between both, and I so honestly... I still want to do that. If you want, I would love to, uh, we could like cut this episode here and promote your special and then make it a two parter and do the dumb shit. Uh, sure. Let's do it right now. All right. Let me let's plug in
2: my computer. Cause I'm almost out of juice. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds How's good. Going? We bit, but honestly though, closing thought is like, there's a handful of us who know this weird thing. I don't want to live on the extremes. I don't want to pander. I also know it's time to kind of get out of the way being who I am. There's yeah. people who have to say all this shit. Scary. I'm with you, man. And it makes me feel better to hear you say it too. I don't
1: know how to do things the right way right now. Man, that's well said. Yeah. I don't know how to do things the right way right now either. It's another big part of it, right? It's like if that's how you feel, if you don't know how to do it right, if you're not entirely sure because of your perspective, how to be a good person, maybe shut up yeah. <laughs> in yeah. like all of those categories, you know? Yeah. Um, which is tough when you're a stand up comedian. But yes, the gig is talking, <laughs> so it's hard to <laughs> shut up. <laughs> but it's how it is. And yeah, it, it it is Yeah, it complicates everything, uh, feeling that way. Because yeah, I also don't want to live in the extremes, but I also understand the feelings of the extremes, right? Absolutely. And uh, comedy requires you to, like if you're into comedy and you're a nerd about it, it requires you to like uh, give it some breathing room. But people have valid things they're angry about and it's just all, I don't know, it's funny, like I have no answer. It's just, it's just hard and complicated and frustrating and all I can end up saying at the end is that it feel, like I said at the very beginning, I don't get it I'm trying to be good about it. I'm trying to be a good comedian and be a good person. And I wish the conversation was more about how you can ride that line and trying to figure out how to ride that line and not acting like uh, going on one extreme or the other is what you have to do. But in a grand sense, I just really wish we were all backing off and and uh, and examining examining the like the hostility it's such person-to-person hostility and that's fucking scary it's just fucking unnerving
2: and and, and totally unnecessary yeah and i feel like there were a number of think pieces about three years ago all about the comedy divide and that divide was not real yeah and then those think pieces made it real right it was bubbling club comics are always going to make fun of alt people Right, all people are always going to think that club comics are mean. There's always, <laughs> right every stand-up's going to make fun of improvisers. Everybody, there's oh, it's always there. But all of a sudden, it's like this magazine or this website is saying there's this divide,
1: the and civil are, war,
2: <laughs> the comedy civil war. Remember that was like an actual headline, and you go, yeah. I remember being a comedian and reading that and going, it doesn't feel that bad. And then <laughs> right. three four months later, I went. Oh, it's that bad. And I'm not blaming those writers, but I will say everybody was way too
1: willing to cut and run and buy into it. There are a couple comedians, uh, not a lot, but there are two comedians who told me I had to pick a side. (laughs) Really? Yeah,
2: yeah. Because you and Uh, me are on that line. I mean, uh I think the club people all view me as absolutely on on the other side of the line I, I, I sure. think I am but then some of those people on the other side of the line think I sold out pretty hard too so right. and maybe they have a point I don't know I don't know but I'm right there in the middle just hoping that there's still room for jokes
1: and, and thoughts and philosophies that don't need to hurt people along the way well it seems like there are man and watch this fucking segue because you've got a new <laughs> special coming out yay <laughs>
2: Uh what's it called It's called Half My Life. I think you are built to like it. Hell yeah. I filmed it at 10 different venues at the end of 2019. Oh, cool. Um, It's got a lot of the jokes and stories. That's the bulk of the footage. But then also kind of a tour documentary where a lot of interstitials, all the things we do. Great. Get into a town where you don't know anybody. How do you kill time? Hang out with your opener. Like sitting in traffic going i'm 40 and my back hurts and i don't know how much longer i want to sit in traffic stressing about if i'm going to make this show in detroit on time because i shot it the way i did also unlike a lot of specials i I think for me i self-funded the whole thing too Mm because i wanted to do it my way and i'm like a lot of my best shows are where things go wrong and get chaotic so i was able to find some moments that that um show that off there's i I do a set for alligators there's a show in baltimore where a girl gets on stage and fights me and whoa um yeah so the, a lot of the chaos and the jokes and the philosophy and a lot of it shot at actual diy venues and 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 music venues that cater to our end of 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 interests and sadly three of the venues have have closed due to covid so I hope people like it it's a little different like many things i do but i i also just hope people want to get it now and get amped up to go oh right 10 small venues like that's what it felt like to go out and do a comedy show and see a comedy show like not a special that's shot in like you know the chicago theater or you know radio city music hall like right it's what it looks like to go to a show in the back of a fucking brewery in Asbury Park, New Jersey. That's what it Dude. looks like in the basement of Union Hall in Brooklyn. Because I just I shot it at the venues where usually what you do is you work out your material there and then go do the fancy special. I was like, I just want
1: it to feel like my life feels. So it's what it is. Thanks for letting me plug it. Oh my god, are you kidding? I can't wait to see it. I can't wait to see it because of just the basic reason I can't wait to see it. I am excited to see a good comedy special and I'm excited to see your stuff. But also, man, it's so funny. It's so funny. The amount of relating I'm experiencing talking to you. Cause I, I have a tour in November that starts right after fest that my like one of my best friends ever, who makes art docs, is coming with me, and the plan is to make nice. a little punk tour comedy special. <laughs> well, and I think Sam Talents making one yes, too. I think with Shane lot of Torres us... too.
2: Oh, really? That's yeah. awesome. Yeah, Shane and yeah. I have linked up in New York a little bit. And I didn't realize he was um, he was a cut from our, our cloth until until a year or so ago. And dude, his, his guy Fieri, bit he did on Conan, I think, oh, was dude. one of the. That and Gary Goleman's naming the states, and then there's so many people I do like right. Now. For all the frustrations of the comedy scene, I look around New York. I go, man, Alex English is here killing it. Like Dude. Roy Wood Jr. and Chloe Hilliard and Monroe Martin. Like a lot of people who I watch right now, where I go, oh, you're in a zone that is exciting. And yeah. I take a deep breath when I see that. I go, man, I love that. And then I see people like Patty Harrison getting ahead where I'm like, Oh man. Patty Harrison had so much shit to say and is funny as fuck. Maybe Thank... the funniest oh, person. Relentlessly <laughs> funny. Relentlessly funny. Where I go, that's get me the fuck out of the way. Get go. Like go. Meg stalter too. I go, go, go fucking do this shit. Cause you're so much funnier than I I'm old and I'm tired.
1: You're funnier than I ever was go so i I see people i get really excited about man same and yeah you know what's funny too is that for all of this like the really the other interesting thing about right now is that everything we've shared like the 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 feelings are real and it exists because a lot of people are feeling it but then every time i talk about it at the end of the conversation i wonder am i just getting cranked up by twitter is it actually not really that present yeah Well, have you been back doing shows yet? A little bit. A little bit. And sure enough, it's just pure fun, man. It's just my experiences. Same. I watch, I have so much fun on stage. And because there aren't that many shows, there are, I've been on four, five shows. Every show I've done, the lineup's been diverse in every way. And I mean, like, of course, gender, sexuality, ethnicity, ethnicity. But then also like seeing you came up in, seeing you're a part of opinions, feelings after you. Yes, yeah. yes, yes. And it's all just fun.
2: And I, uh, I loved it. I, 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 the first time I did an indoor, I did some outdoor shows in the summer and fall. First time I did an outdoor show where it really felt like what we do. I just said, I always try to remind myself, and this is actually a philosophy I'm trying to build my next set around. I'm like, there's one person in this room who's having a shittier day than anybody else in this room. can I cheer them up
1: that's That's a pretty good
2: job and being back in a room with a ceiling and a bunch of chairs and they're sitting there and I can see them I was like that's the part that is very easy to forget when all you can do is sit around for a year worrying about think pieces and podcasts and controversy but if somebody in here is having a bad day I can cheer them up that's worth driving from Jersey for that's good that's good I
1: fucking love that, dude.
2: We gotta team up. A bunch of us gotta team up and make another genre of um, disaffected, disaffected <laughs> people who are entering middle age but still have good intentions and wanna wanna I, play small music venues.
1: I yes, let's fucking do it. I am so there, man. <laughs> I also it's the middle age part is important too because I wonder like I, I, I am seeing the like uh, the. I don't feel like I'm aging out of things, but I'm seeing the, like, am I a... Will I no longer be what helps? Do you know what I mean? Will I... I mean it too. Do people not need me? But uh, I feel uh, like a fucking 18-year-old in a van, so I might as well just keep doing that as long as I feel that way, you know? I think my show in its day... The TV show felt
2: pretty progressive, and now it would not, and that's a good thing. Now... A white cast with a largely white audience isn't gonna feel so progressive. But ten years ago, that show talking about mental health, mental illness and and really trying to welcome everybody in and 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 you know trying to trying to like get people ahead when it became a money thing, it felt pretty progressive. And now I go, I don't think that I don't think I don't think anybody's looking at me for that anymore. And I get so insecure sometimes about it. But recently I just go, and I've done my part and maybe that's okay. Maybe they don't need me. Maybe I don't need to be the one right. Maybe maybe I can just tell jokes about how weird it is having a kid and and lawn most of my set is lawn care now. It's all the, all I think about jokes. All my jokes are about lawn care now. But maybe that's okay. Maybe yeah. I've done my part and maybe maybe it's not that maybe it's not that they don't need me. Or maybe it's not that they don't want me. Maybe it's that they don't need me.
1: Right, which As is good.
2: It's a different thing. It's a different thing. They
1: shouldn't always. Also, you shouldn't need that.
2: Yeah. Always, we we're that's talking about learning. ego earlier,
1: right? Man, that's what I'm learning. I think that's really tough to learn when you want to be a performer. I mean, that's uh, you know you're wanting to be needed. Is maybe dangerous? Maybe a feeling you should try to exercise. Yeah, I'm figuring that one out. Yeah, fuck me too. I'm not there <laughs> at all. <laughs> all right, man. Let's yeah. We're uh, this is end of part one. Let's call yeah. it that. And uh, and next week uh, we're gonna do an episode of Boring Opinions that I I guess is all about lawn care. <laughs> Brace yourselves. (laughs) Chris Gethard, everybody. Oh, man, how exciting. I'm so stoked. We get to do two episodes? That was so... Listen, I'm obviously recording this part later, and I just got to tell you, uh, what a wonderful conversation that was, and it really was cathartic for me. And I just... To hear someone that like-minded on all sides, uh, just thank God, because, you know, uh, especially when you're in your room for a year... Um, and uh, we are in the, the climate that we're in now. It can really feel like there aren't a lot of people that think the way you think, and that was cool. Also, just such a nice guy and so fucking funny, and man, his special Half My Life, it's out now. Get it at his website, chrisgeth.com, C-H-R-I-S-G-E-T-H.com. He's also at Chris Geth on social media, and uh, he's going to be back uh, next week, so come back next week i'm excited to see you next week i love you so much next week <laughs> i'm at dave to the ross on all the things dave to the ross.com for info on my shows in portland maine and boston coming up and uh follow me on instagram at dave to the ross for uh postings about where i'll be in new york city and i also have at the end of july a show in pensacola and then I'm doing some stuff uh, in Denver and California and then in the South and Midwest again at the end of the year. Um, go to those places if you want some of that. Oh, also, my other podcast, What's It Called?, has been getting even more fun. It's so, so much fun. It's my show with Caleb Signin, and just, oh, man, I really hope you check it out. It's uh, We just have the dumbest time, and we have a Patreon now, which is patreon.com slash what's it called. I don't know. I don't even know how to tell you how fun it is. It's just so fun, and uh, and I'll be back next week. And take care of yourself. Let yourself come back to the world at whatever speed feels right for you, please. Uh, I started doing that, and it just really is making my life a lot softer and easier, and it's just fucking nice. So anyway, take care of yourself. I'm glad you're alive, and I'll see you next week.
0: Good